Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. the life we see, the beauty in the trees, the canopy, the branches, the leaves, the majesty of it all. It all started in the dirt, invisible forgotten in dark places, buried. Well, welcome to Easter of Christ the King Church. So glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. This weekend, we are celebrating hope at 13 services across six campuses, and we are so unbelievably glad that you made a decision to come and celebrate Easter with us. I spent my week wandering around Whatcom County trying to figure out how to, how to find a fresh way to share the story of the resurrection of Jesus. My wanderings took me to a garden nursery because after all, the name of the series is buried. So I looked at seeds and plants and trees. I wandered through greenhouses. I touched dirt and I came up completely empty until I ran into a kindergarten field trip. A whole bunch of five-year-olds and several stressed out guardians that were just a little freaked out learning about plant physiology. The kids were obviously learning about seeds and planting, but mostly they were consumed by dirt and worms. And so I walked by a lesson that happened to be happening. Just so you know, I was not being creepy, okay? I knew the teacher, all right? So I just happened to walk by as the kids were getting their opportunity to plant a seed. Everyone got their opportunity, but my attention revolved around a little boy named Devin. I just fell in love with Devin. Apparently, Devin is a bit of a handful because I heard his name repeatedly. He just said, Devin, Devin. I related. That was my experience in school as well. It was Devin's turn to put a bean seed into the ground. So he prepped himself. He dug a hole with a little shovel. He played with some dirt. He picked his nose. He picked up a bean seed. He tried to put it in the ground. It stuck to his finger. He tried to shake it loose. It wouldn't budge. It was like that seed was like, I'm not getting buried. I'm not getting buried. 
Devin finally flicked the seed and it landed right beside the hole. He pushed it into the hole with a shovel with a, an extreme amount of force. That thing went in there unbelievably deep. It's like Devin's like, I'm going to win the battle between me and this seed. And it was what happened next that I absolutely fell in love with. He covered the seed with dirt and then whispered into the hole, it's going to be okay. And Devin handed me my Easter message. The Bible's full of people who felt buried. Jeremiah was a brokenhearted prophet who was buried in despair because people weren't listening to God anymore. Esther was a young Jewish woman who risked her life for people, her own people. She was buried in responsibility. Joseph was buried in a prison for 11 years for a crime he didn't commit. David was buried with odds. I mean, think about it. Who gives a shepherd kid a shot against a professional trained warrior named Goliath? Later on, David's buried in his own sin, lust and pride and adultery and anger. Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, were buried in scandal. I mean, gossip just piled in on top of them. And that they were also buried in that overwhelming feeling that every prospective parent experiences at some point. Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, was actually buried in death, but it was okay. Because as we've learned in this series, Jesus deals with death and buried different than anyone else in human history because Lazarus was dead until Jesus showed up in town. You know, maybe you're here today thinking, I just, I just wanted to come, do a little Easter thing, go home, have grandma leave me alone. But the truth is you're buried. Some of you are buried in unmet expectations. Some of you are buried in grief and shame and regret. Some of you are buried in hate. Some of you are buried in work. Some of you are buried in unforgiveness because you just won't forgive yourself or someone else. Some of you are just buried in busyness or loneliness. And the truth is it can feel awfully hopeless when you're on the receiving end of buried. But what if there was hope for you today? Can I share a truth from the series Buried? It's not rocket science. It's not even deep theology, but it's true. Being buried and being planted feels exactly the same when you're the seed. Think about it for just a second, right? I mean, if you're the seed, just think about your perspective, right? I'm being dropped. I'm being covered. This hole is deep. The shovel hurts. The dirt is cold. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm being buried alive. A little different perspective than if you're the planter, right? Because if you're a planter, you're just thinking, I'm not burying you. I'm planting you. So be patient. Just wait. It's going to be okay. I'm going to use this process for amazing things. On this Easter weekend, I want you to know, no matter how you showed up today, that Jesus has a plan to make sure that you know that he was buried. He gets how you feel. Because of his great love for you, though, Jesus didn't stay buried. Somebody whisper amen. He overcame being buried, and because of his victory, you can experience exactly the same thing the way I did when I was 18 years old. 730 years before Jesus was crucified, an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah foretold what would happen when Jesus took my sin and your sin to the cross. Here was the prophecy, 700 plus years old, before Jesus showed up. The prophecy says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his 
mouth going back to Good Friday. Jesus became my sacrifice and your sacrifice. He could have defended himself, but he didn't because he actually believed you were worth more than his dignity and his honor. Standing before Pontius Pilate, a puppet Roman governor, Jesus could have leveled every accusation that was thrown at him with the truth of who he was, but he said nothing to fulfill that prophecy. The fulfillment happens in Mark 15, verse 5, but Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. I could have listed so many prophecies, just so you know for the thinkers in the room. One person fulfilling eight 700-year-old prophecies before they're born, the mathematical probability of that happening is one in 100 quadrillion. One person fulfilling 48 ancient prophecies 700 years after they were said, that's one chance in 10 to the 157th power to the mathematicians in the room for one person to fulfill over 300 messianic prophecies. I can't calculate that because I'm just not that good in math. I could have listed so many of them, but we're just going to stick with the one. 700 years plus before or after Isaiah said those words, Jesus is meeting with his friends and he drops a bomb in the middle of a conversation. It's the foreshadowing of his death. Jesus said, very, very truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In the middle of dinner, Jesus is predicting his own death. Jesus is saying, I'll go first. I'll be the first seed. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die on a cross. He was willing to take the sin of the whole world onto his sinful life so that you and I could be set free and have a personal relationship with God. Make no mistake, Jesus was going to die and be buried. Now, for most of us, we think that's the end of the story because that's how it works, right? Like, you're done. You live, you die, you're buried End of sentence. That's not the way it works if you're Jesus. Jesus didn't stay buried. He didn't stay dead. If you've never heard it before, here it is. If you've heard it once before, and this is a second time, you are welcome. The Bible says this about the resurrection. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices as they prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the meds sent to them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. Say it with me. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. On that Sunday morning, hope became real. Hope was real because Jesus was the death of death. I like that so much, I'm going to say it again, all right? Hope was real because Jesus was the death of death. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Some of us struggle with hope. In fact, I would say for most of us, hope stays recreational from the early part of our life. Boy, I really hope I get that job. Boy, I really hope I get an A on that course. I, I, I really hope that she says yes when I ask her out on a date. Boy, I really hope he doesn't ask me out on a date. Now, I hope I get married someday. I hope to buy a house. I hope God gives us kids to put in the house and, and it's 
God, I hope my kids move out of the house and then, <laughs> and then life takes us deeper. But I really hope the cancer test is negative. I hope my wife is home when I get home from work tonight. I don't know where they are. Hope my kids are okay. And we learn something. Every one of us feels buried, and at some point, hope will disappoint you. I lost hope as a young man. I lost hope that God would ever, or that God could ever love me for just me. So I buried myself in denial and philosophy and humanism and pride and sin. And much to my surprise, and in fact, much to my chagrin, Jesus showed up and started digging. Jesus showed up. He covered my garbage with his perfect life so I could be buried in his grace. And I learned something. You will be disappointed in life, but Jesus will never disappoint you. See, he brings a different kind of hope, the hope of Jesus. You know, let's be honest. Nobody expected, nobody hoped Jesus was coming back. I mean, if they would have, they would have been waiting at the tomb, right? On Friday, hope was gone. Hope was lost. Nobody comes back from being buried. But we know something, right? Deep in the ground, something was stirring. Hope was rising. Life was growing. It was as if God the Father was saying, it's going to be okay. Jesus is alive. A few years later, a murderer is interrupted by Jesus on a road to a place called Damascus. He becomes the greatest missionary ever known to mankind. The Apostle Paul writes these words. I called it the revelation in your outline. He says, for what I received. So the story that changed him from a murderer to a missionary, I passed on to you. Paul is thinking what I got, I should give away. As of first importance, he's saying there's no message more important than the message that Jesus saves. He goes on and says that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture. I mean, the whole book of the Bible is about your deliverance and my deliverance. And then we got to verse four. We've been stuck there for three long weeks that he was buried. And there it is where there should have been a period. Jesus put a comma because the story was just getting started. He was buried comma, and now we get to finish it, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Every single year, I want to go all apologetics on you for Easter. I'm tempted every year to spend time laying out the apologetics case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every year I want to talk about why we're still talking about Jesus of Nazareth when the truth is the Romans crucified thousands of rebels on the outside of Jerusalem. I want to talk to you about the eyewitness accounts. I'd like to ask a simple question. Normally if you're trying to keep a story a secret, you wait until all the eyewitnesses are dead. There was a whole bunch of people that saw this whole thing go on. I want to lay out the truth of the validity of this supernatural moment. But every single year, God keeps bringing me back to stories of how the resurrection power of Jesus is still changing people's lives today, even when they feel buried. I met Deputy Becky Lewis about seven years ago. Becky came to my office after she was involved in a brutally violent encounter 
in her work as a Snohomish County Sheriff's Deputy. I'm honored to serve as a law enforcement chaplain, and so she came in and we just talked. And I was so amazed at this young woman, this young police officer's strength and her resolve and her love for Jesus. I know there were probably some people that thought she would never go back out on the street again, but she is just too tough to let that happen. She's here and that's just killing me right now. So I watched Becky grow during a tough season when she was buried in the pain of somebody else's evil. She was an example of someone who was planted, not buried. And she grew. Becky is a mixed martial arts fighter. She's tough. She met a guy by the name of Charlie who was also an MMA fighter. And I began to watch as this little sprout of love began to emerge between the two of them. I saw Charlie come to church. I saw Charlie get baptized. I saw Charlie, Charlie fall in love with Becky. And when they asked me to do their wedding, I was so unbelievably honored. I think we got a picture of that, actually. Oh, there we are. Yeah, that was a good day. That was the first wedding I ever did when I knew for a fact that the bride could take me. <laughs> few months later, Becky and Charlie told me that there was a little Mertzig on the way. His name was going to be Maximus. It's a good name. And it was pure joy. Until one day, Charlie called and said, Grant, there's something wrong with Max. This is their story. So I'm Becky and this is my husband Charlie and we met uh, because he was doing a health and wellness podcast with his cousin and I was a listener and I heard him mention that he liked mixed martial arts and I happened to be an amateur fighter so I invited him to one of my fights. I remember asking on social media if hey anybody want to go to the range and go shooting. I, I like guns, I like shooting, she likes guns so she was like hey. You know, I, I'm injured right now, but when I heal up a little bit more, we can do that. That was our first date, and then the rest is history. <laughs> Becky and I got married August 7th of 2015, and beginning of January, we found out that she was pregnant. And we weren't trying to get pregnant, it was a big surprise. Fast forward about two or three months, I was heading to the gym, she was with her sister, and she calls me, bawling her eyes out. I'm like, what's going on? She said, there's a problem with Max. We found out that he had a deletion in chromosome 16, and that can mean a lot of things, but for him it meant he was gonna have an irregular heart, and he had an issue with his bladder, and all of those things combined, they said it was not consistent with life, so. The doctor calls us in and wants to go over the options of what we should do about it. And they kept pushing termination. And I remember looking the doctor in the face and I put my finger in his face and I said, we're not terminating my child and I don't want to hear another word about it. 
I knew that that wasn't God's will and that he was gonna do amazing things with my son who had a terminal diagnosis. And I kept praying, let a miracle happen, Lord, let my son live. The doctors and the nurses all in the hospital room were expecting him to come out stillborn. They laid him on her, her chest and he opened his eyes and looked right at me. And I was like, oh my God, he's alive. He's alive. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts rushing around and grabbing stuff. And he looked at me and I just remember saying, hi, buddy, I'm your dad. That was, uh, that was the best and worst moment of my life right there. I don't remember feeling sad at all. I remember actually smiling. I just had this peace about me. I just remember um, holding him, and, and then after about 10 minutes, he, he just slipped away. One of the lowest points in my entire life was leaving that hospital empty-handed, walking out of the hospital, and a, a father was coming in, beaming, with a shirt that said, I am your father. You could tell that he just became a father. And we were going out the door without anybody. I kind of had a big issue with God at that point. We were healthy. We did everything right, you know, as far as we, we were concerned. I was buried in grief, a lot of tears. There was a piece of my heart missing. After Max was born was when I was probably buried the most. Postpartum depression on top of losing your son was my hell. It was hard. Not getting to raise him. Wishing I had sleepless nights. Wishing I got to change dirty diapers. I was grateful that he wasn't stillborn. I was grateful that, that we got to see him and I stopped asking why so much. I just had to shift my focus and know, okay, how are you gonna use it? Because I know I'm gonna see him again. Losing a child in your first year of marriage, that's a huge challenge. Through God's grace, it actually brought us closer together, in my opinion. I think our bond is stronger than it ever would have been without Maximus. No one on this earth knows how I feel. Charlie comes pretty dang close. Before Max, I didn't really know if I wanted to be a dad. But once I lost Max, we lost Max. I wanted to be a dad so bad after that. And we have had a child since Max Smith. His name is Logan. He's the cutest little guy I've ever seen. What drives me with Logan too is I want him to know Christ. I want him to be raised knowing the heart of Jesus so that we can all be together as a family someday. Max's story will be a part of my life every single day as a father. It just makes me want to be the best dad I could possibly be to my son. Because of what God has done for me in the past, I've been through hard things, and those hard things have turned into the best things in my life, including my marriage. <laughs> the worst possible outcome of my life has brought so many amazing things from it. We wouldn't have Logan if we didn't yeah, have Max. That's true. And, and 
Logan's the greatest joy of my life. Every day I come home, is the best moment is. His smile on his face when we come home. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's priceless. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Buried in pain, buried in disbelief, buried in decisions. Buried in hopelessness, frustration, and ultimately buried in their grief. I watched Becky and Charlie choose Jesus over and over and over again. Buried beyond the human capability to cope. I had the privilege of being with them in the delivery room. And God whispered something to me to give to them. I remember saying, God, Becky and Charlie, God knows exactly how it feels to lose a son. That truth didn't make the pain or grief go away. It just brought God a little closer. And while that's a hard story to watch, it reminds me that God gave up his son willingly to take away my sin and your sin, every sin, past, present, and future, for one reason, because he loves you. And he loves me. And just like Becky and Charlie love Max and Logan, Jesus loves all of us even more. Crucified, buried, comma, so that he could rise again just to have a relationship with you. The Bible says that God will stop at nothing. He will go to the deepest depth to prove to you how much he loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I love John 3, 16, but I'll tell you what, 17 gets even better. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So it doesn't matter how deep you're buried. It doesn't matter how deep you're buried in your own sin and shame. The power of God's love is greater. I mean, the power of God's love brought his son back to life again. It means Jesus can sustain you through a broken heart. He did it for Becky and Charlie. He can sustain you through lost hope and broken dreams. He'll walk you through the pain of life and we all experience it. No matter the hurt, God can use your story if you'll just keep going and trusting and claiming the promise that you're planted, not buried. And there's something happening way down deep even when you feel dead. So on this Easter weekend, I'd like to invite you to consider something. I have no idea how you wandered in here. I have no idea how you showed up. 
But make no mistake, Jesus brought you here. And you can begin a personal relationship tonight with the one who was buried, comma, and rose again for you. So if today's the day that you want to begin a new relationship, and I know some of you are going, but Grant, you have no idea what I've done in my past. Can you do me a favor? Tell the devil to leave you alone. He has no place referring to someone who's created in the image of Almighty God. And in Jesus' name, you can tell him to shut his mouth and he will. That's how it works. But if tonight's the night when God interrupts your Easter and says, tonight's the night, I want you to start a relationship with me. I want you to realize that everything, all the hard stuff, I'm actually going to do something beautiful. Maybe tonight's the night you hear Jesus say, it's going to be okay. And if that's your decision tonight, to give your heart fully and completely to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray with me in just a moment. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes right now just so we can all concentrate together? And if you're here and you're just buried, buried in bad old decisions, buried in pride that said you don't need God, buried in hurt, buried in a need for forgiveness, buried in a lack of forgiveness, if tonight's the night when you would love the King of Kings who came back to life to breathe new life into you and to allow you to start all over again. I'd invite you to pray this prayer with me right now in your heart. In the deepest part of your soul, just pray. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to dig me out from under the mountain of my own sin. Jesus, you gave me life, but I lived it for myself. God, would you forgive me? Right now, I accept you as the Lord, the King, and the Savior of my life. I give myself completely to you. Nothing held back, nothing buried. And I ask God, would you plant me deep in your grace? because I want to grow into someone that loves you and follows you every day for the rest of my life. Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I thank you for being buried so that I can start over and grow in your love today. I pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just having a private God moment right now. Maybe a song spoke to you. Maybe something I said touched you somewhere in your heart. Maybe the story of Becky and Charlie touched you. Can I tell you, that wasn't us. That was God. Saying, I love you. I was buried for you. If you prayed that prayer earnestly tonight, 
I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Would you just raise your hand up into the air? God bless you. Just put your hand straight up. God bless you and you. God bless you and you. God bless you. Just put your hand straight up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless all. Right, four of you right there. God bless you in the back. God bless you. I can even see you out in the hallway. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God, thank you for using heartbreaking stories to bring new life to people. We love you. We trust you. We thank you for forgiving all of us. We don't deserve it. But God, I thank you for this moment when everything starts new for people who were planted, not buried. God, thank you for every hand that was raised. Give them courage to walk with you for the rest of their lives. And God, thank you for the privilege it is for us as a church to walk alongside of them. As they grow in Jesus, we pray these things in your precious son's name. All God's people said, amen. All right, we're not done, okay? We're not done. I remember this moment like it was yesterday. It scared me to death because it meant I had to crawl off the throne of my life, abdicate my being the center of my own universe and saying, Jesus, you can sit here from now on scared me to death and I remember that night because my pastor said I'm going to give you an opportunity to step across a line it's going to scare you to death and it did but I remember stepping out of my seat after giving my heart to Jesus it was the best thing I ever did and I walked to the front of a Baptist church in Brandon, Manitoba with everybody watching me and I was freaked out but I could only think of one thing If Jesus is who he says he is, he'll walk with me every step of the way. And he will. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Would you all please stand together? And I'm going to ask, even though the people who may have raised their hand, you don't know me from Adam. It's okay, I promise you. I won't freak you out. Well, actually, I won't promise that. You might freak out a little. But I want to invite you into a moment to cross a line. I'm going to tell you, we don't do bait and switch at Christ the King. We don't put band-aids on difficult moments. We call it like it is. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. If in a moment you raised your hand and you step out and say, I'm going to, I'm going to walk, I'm going to invite you to come down right here to the front. I'd love to be the first person to shake your hand. I'd love to be the first person to say, welcome home. And then we're going to head backstage. I'm going to promise you, nobody's going to do anything weird. We'd like to introduce you to some people who gave their heart to Jesus once and he's been keeping his promises ever since. We'd like to get your name. We'd like to give you a gift. We'd like to welcome you to come back. We want you to be part of our family. Just so you know, if you've got a resume that's really busted, you're going to fit right in. Because we're a really broken, dysfunctional family. But there's something really cool about all of us. We're planted, not married. And we're growing. We're growing. So, 
If you raised your hand, now's your moment of decision, your moment of courage. I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat and come right down here to the front. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.